welcome to Sunday Sermons with Resurrection Church. This is the weekly preaching and teaching ministry of Resurrection Church in Gig Harbor, Washington. We just want to invite you to join us as we study God's story revealed through the Bible and seek to apply His truth to our modern life. Our hope is that through these teachings, you would experience life with Jesus as you experience life with us. My friends, how about we come back together? You can find a seat, make yourself comfortable. If we've not met before, my name's Bubba. I'm one of the pastors. It's my joy to be with you today and spend some time in the Word. Uh, As Pastor Drew said, we're just going through uh, the Gospel of John. We're in chapter 17. We're looking at a prayer that Jesus has, and we're in the middle of the chapter. We began this prayer last week, and uh, we're looking at it this week and next week. So we're kind of spending three weeks on this prayer. I would like to uh, pray for us. And then we'll get into it. And I notice I'm kind of walking around and I'm, I might fall off of this at some point. And if I do, you have uh, my permission to laugh at me. Okay, uh, let, me, let me pray for us. God, uh, I thank you for uh, your grace and mercy and love. Father, you're so good to us and we're so grateful for you. And we thank you uh, for Jesus. And Jesus, we just take a moment to um, acknowledge you're the son of God, the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one. You lived without sin, died for our sin, rose from the grave, ascended into the heavens. And right now you're reigning and ruling in glory and majesty and beauty. Um, we give you praise and honor. Holy Spirit, we ask... Uh, Speak to us as we open up these, these words and we look at this prayer of Jesus. Uh, ultimately, uh, we're asking, Holy Spirit, that you would minister this word to our minds and hearts, transform us, help us to be a people who uh, not only embrace the word, but are sanctified in the truth of God's word and uh, grow us, help us to mature, help us to uh, be shaped and formed in the image and likeness of Christ. And ultimately, God, we pray and ask, help us to live a life that is pleasing to you. We pray this all in Jesus' good name. Amen. Uh, Yesterday, I was having a conversation with my my family. uh, you know, it's me and Shelly, and we got two, two teenagers. They're, they're both boys. And our oldest uh, teenager, well, I should say it this way. So I come in, and I'm kind of like talking to the family, and I'm like, so, uh, you know, uh, life is difficult, right? And we're all like, yeah, life is so difficult. And uh, we're kind of talking about it. And, uh, and my teenage, my oldest teenager says, he says, it's not that life is so diff- difficult. It's that people are annoying, yeah, and I was just like, oh, man, that's some teenage wisdom for you. And then, he's, and then he got, because I said, like, oh, that's some teenage wisdom. And he was like, and he kind of got a little, a little offended, I think. And he was like, no, 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 let me explain. He's like, think about it. Everything that's wrong in the world is caused by people. And I was like, okay, you got me. You got a good point there, right? And, and so if you think about, like, the difficulties of life and what makes life difficult, you could probably come up with a list of things, right? Maybe people are at the top of your list. Um, and uh, if not, I'm sure you could come up with other things. We could say, like, oh, well, you know, like poverty or uh, sickness, um, you know, uh, racism, um, like, you know, uh, relational strife and uh, disconnection, um, you know, anxiety, depression, mental illness. There's a long list of things that we can say, life is really, really, really difficult. It's hard. It's challenging. And because of that, oftentimes we want to escape. Right? We gotta, we, it's so hard. It's so difficult. I, I, I want to get out of here. I want to escape. Um, tell me if this sounds familiar. Over the last few years, 
Uh, have you ever caught yourself looking at your phone and you're on like Redfin or Zillow or someplace like that and you're like, hmm, what is property like, say, in like uh, some other part of the country? <laughs> have you seen the price of houses in Tennessee? <laughs> or Texas? Or Idaho, which is basically the Texas of the Northwest. Like... Right? And, and you probably know someone who's moved away at some point, but there's this, 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 this thing where sometimes we get frustrated with life and then we, we, we think, well, I just got to escape. I got to get away. I got to go do something else. And um, I have friends that moved away. And what they learned uh, is that you just move to another place and there's also problems there too. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, surprise. <laughs> um, Anyways, uh, and, and here's the thing. Jesus knows life is difficult, and he knows it's going to be challenging, and he prays for us, um, knowing how hard it's going to be. And this prayer we're looking at is really a prayer to prepare us in a lot of different ways, one of which is how to navigate the challenges and difficulties of this world. And so what we're going to do is jump back into the prayer. We're in verse 11. That's where we pick it up is verse 11. And so Jesus says here in verse 11, uh, I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world. And I am coming to you, Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as you are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, that the scriptures might be fulfilled. And so here, Jesus is praying, and I want you to first notice what he says in verse 12. He says, uh, none of them have been lost except the son of destruction. And this kind of reminds us of the context of what's happening here in this moment historically. The son of destruction is Judas, who has betrayed Jesus. He's already left the group, and so it's Jesus and now the 11 disciples, and they're walking and talking, and they pause, and Jesus prays for them, and he's praying, um, you know, not just for them, but over them, and we're told that he lifts his eyes up to heaven, and so he's praying, and as he's praying here, Father, uh, none of them have been lost except for the one we, we knew was going to be lost, and he's praying for his disciples, and he knows what's about to happen. I mean, look at, look at verse 11 again. I am no longer in the world but they are in the world. I am coming to you. This is the night he's betrayed. He's about to be arrested just in a short while. He's going to, um, though he is innocent, be put on trial. They're going to condemn him. And the following day, he's going to be handed over to the Roman government and uh, eventually that day crucified. And so he's going to die. He's going away. Uh, on the third day, he's going to rise. And then after that, he's going to ascend into the heavens to be with the Father once again, which is why he says here, um, I am no longer in the world. And then a little bit later, he says, I am coming to you. He knows this is about to happen. And what is his prayer for his disciples? Holy Father, keep them. The idea of the Father keeping us to be, that, that, that word there means guard, protect. And, and notice what he says. He says, Holy Father, keep them uh, in your name, in your name. He, he's saying, uh, don't just keep them, but Father, uh, keep them under your protection, uh, under the strength and the power and the authority of your name. I, I don't think we often realize just how powerful and strong the name of God is. Proverbs 18 says that 
the name of the Lord is a strong tower and the righteous run to it and are safe. This idea that the name of God itself is like a, a refuge. It's like a castle. It's like a strong tower. It's, it's like a fortified fortress. And in ancient times, someone would travel from one place to another. And when you're on the road traveling, you're vulnerable. You could be attacked by thieves, robbers. Someone might try to kill you, whatnot. You want to get from one place to another as soon as possible. And there would be these, these, these towers or these fortresses. And if you saw one in the distance, you'd be excited to get there because you know behind the stone wall, you're safe. And it's that kind of imagery or that idea in which scripture says the name of the Lord is that kind of refuge. You don't have to worry. You're safe. And here Jesus is saying, Father, would you keep them safe? Would you protect them? Would you guard them? May they be under the authority of your name. Now, why do we need protection? Protection from what? Let's keep going. We're going to look now at verse 14. In verse 14, he says, uh, I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. And so here we see him praying specifically that the Father would keep us in his name and he would keep us from the evil one. You know, uh, life on earth is, 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 is filled with tension. And though you may not see it or be aware of it all the time, we live in the middle of these kind of two warring, battling kingdoms and there's a spiritual war happening all around us all the time. The, the kingdom of God, and then there's the kingdom of, of darkness, right? The domain of light, the domain of darkness, or the domain of the enemy of God, the devil himself, the evil one. Now, granted, God is in authority over all, uh, yet there is this tension in a fallen and broken world. And we live in that tension. And so there is an enemy who opposes God and those who belong to God, and the enemy has all kinds of tactics that he uses in which to try to hurt or harm us. Deception, lies, um, temptation, condemnation, um, opposition, fear, doubt, discouragement, all kinds of things. A lot of different tactics, but the kind of point or the the end result or the hope of the enemy is our destruction, right? Different tactics, one goal, your destruction. And here Jesus is praying an op opposition prayer and a protection, protective prayer. Father, protect them from the evil one. Cover them in, in your name. May your name be a banner, a, a, a fortress that, of protection. May they be under your authority in your protection. I don't think most of us understand the power and authority of just God's own name, the name of God. And, and I can say that confidently because I know that I didn't quite fully understand it myself for a long time. Now, over the years, I, I've had enough encounters with different people in different kind of spiritual warfare type scenarios to have seen time and time and time again how 
powerful the name of God is and how much authority the name of God has. Um, and uh, this is not necessarily something that I talk about a lot, but it, I'm going to share with you a story because I, I want you to understand the significance of Jesus' prayer here that we would be um, kept in the name of the Father. Some years ago at um, one of our, it was after one of our services at our Tacoma location, and I, I, I was preaching that day, and uh, someone came up to me, and they're like, hey, there's a, a young gal. She's like in her 20s or something like that. They're like, there's a young gal that's here, and um, we're not quite exactly sure what's going on with her. We'd, we'd, we'd like to uh, ask, you know, like talk to her. Will you come and see her and talk to her? She's in one of the offices. And I was like, yeah, sure. Um, I was preaching when she came in, so I don't really know what happened. Uh, but, I, but I do know this. I, I walked into the office, and as soon as I walked into the office, she stood up, and she, she, she pointed at me, and she said, uh, man of God, what are you doing here? And now, I, I would like to say that um, I'm, like, sharp enough to know how to respond in those moments, but I'm not. <laughs> okay? So she says, man of God, what are you doing here? And then she starts to lift up her shirt to expose herself. Okay? Now... All I can say is that it, it was like this Holy Spirit moved through me because honestly, I would not know what to do in a situation like, in, in of myself. And so this is what's happening, okay? So I walk in, you gotta imagine, right? I'm like, walk in the door, she stands up, man of God, what are you doing here? She starts to lift up her shirt and I said, in the name of Jesus, put your shirt down. <laughs> in the name of Jesus, sit down. And she just sat down and, and then it was like, it was on, right? Like, and what I mean by it was on was it was like there's some kind of like something demonic going on here. And we just like came in and we said, okay, we're going we're gonna to like pray for you. Is that okay? Yeah, that's okay. We opened up the Bible. We're reading scripture. We're praying for her. And about 30, 45 minutes of this, you know, spiritual encounter, the spiritual warfare that's going on. And, um, and at times, I mean, at times she would like, say things that like didn't make a lot of sense. It'd be like a phrase or something. And at times she'd get really frustrated. Like if we, when we were reading scripture, she'd get really angry about that. Not her, but the demonic, the demonic like inspiration or force that was like working through her, get angry at the, at the word of God. And at times she would start to get a little bit uncontrollable. And every single time we would call on the name of Jesus and say, by the, the name of Jesus and his authority, and then we would give her some kind of instruction, like, don't hurt yourself, sit down, don't try to undress yourself. Like, we would say something like that, and every single time that demonic force would submit to the name of Jesus and the authority of Jesus and what the Spirit of God was doing. Right? It wasn't, it wasn't, we were, it was not like we're special, like we have some kind of power or influence or no, nothing like that. It was a complete spiritual battle happening and the name of God has significant power and authority in ways that we don't quite understand and we don't oftentimes acknowledge, but when you're in a moment like that, you see it really clear. You see it really, really clear. And what's interesting to me is that Jesus here is not just appealing, he's not appealing to his name, he's appealing to the name of the Father. And we're told like Jesus' name is above every name, and yet Jesus is saying, yes, my name is above every name, but there's an authority even above me, the Father, whom I submit myself to, and his name is above all. 
So, Father, keep them in your name. The enemy will try to harm you in different ways, but the enemy has no power or authority in your life when you are under the protection of God. And so Jesus here is praying that we would experience that kind of protection, that we'd live in that kind of protection. But, but you'll also notice here, he mentions that we're in, the, in a world that hates us, right? Now, our fight is not with flesh and blood. It's in the, you know, the, 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 the demonic principalities and the powers of the spiritual powers and things like that. That's where the fight is. So our fight is not against people per se, but we do live in a world that is hostile to God, which means our world is oftentimes hostile to those who follow God. And in this world, there are really kind of two types of people, those who love Jesus and those who love the world. And the Bible says that if you choose or desire to be a friend of the world, you're going to make yourself an enemy of God. And so you, you can't have allegiance to Jesus and the world at the same time. It's one or the other, right? And, and those who love Jesus love those who follow Jesus, those who love the world, well, they tend to hate those who follow Jesus because there's this spiritual opposition happening. And, um, and so as Christians, we experience some of that sometimes, a little bit of opposition, some persecution, some, some you know, backlash, what, whatever, about our faith, which means that not only is life just difficult, because it's just difficult because of all the various reasons there are, right? It's hard and challenging period to just live in a fallen, broken world. But it's also difficult because uh, we encounter we encounter oppositions, a lot of times spiritual opposition and sometimes actual like people who, you know, maybe you're like, I don't like Christianity or I don't like what you believe in and because of that, I'm not going to like you. We encounter that kind of stuff from time to time, which means living in the world is difficult and the enemy is going to try to, to discourage you and to tempt you to compromise your faith. And there, there are a couple of different ways I want, I want to talk about to kind of ways in which the enemy will tempt you to compromise, right? And the first one is this. The enemy is going to kind of tempt you to remove yourself completely uh, from the world, right? To remove yourself from the world completely. Now, some Christians, what they think is they think in order to be faithful, they have to separate themselves from the world, but, but separate themselves completely. Like, I can't have anything to do with the world at all. There has to be a complete and total separation. The, 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 probably the most extreme examples of this would be like the Amish community, where they like have their own community that's completely separate from everyone else, and they're just like, we don't want to even engage in the things that you guys do, or, you know, like we're living a completely separate life. More common would be um, where someone works a job, you know, as a, as a believer, and they're engaged in the world to some degree because they're working a job. But outside of that, they try to basically remove themselves as much as possible from um, all other connections to, uh, to non-Christians or the world. Um, you know, like, hey, people at work are like, hey, you want to go hang out after work? Nope, nope, don't, don't want to do that, right? Disconnect, I'm isolating myself. A lot of times what we see is we'll see, um, you know, where, where, where churches will start to get this us against them mentality. And then they're like, well, they're, they're all bad. That's all bad. We're good. And so we have to form our holy huddle and have our own little thing. It's our thing. Everything else is bad. We're good. And sometimes those churches are so so like, you know, rigid in their 
uh, in their, you know, criteria for you to be able to participate with them that, you know, Lord help them. If Jesus was on earth, he probably wouldn't be allowed in the church. Right? I was, I was talking with Pastor Pete about this and he was telling me about how the church he grew up in was, um, was, was, uh, had some, some challenges when it comes to, came to like how they saw culture and society. Now, this, this was an independent, um, fundamentalist Baptist church, the kind that takes fun out of fundamentalism, right? And, uh, and, and Pete loves, loves the church that he grew up in. And he would say like, hey, this church in some ways was just amazing. Like his, his mom was a widow and the church stepped in and took care of her and her children. And there were a lot of men in the church who were mentors to him and father figures. And so in many ways, he was raised by the church and he's really grateful for that church. But, but there was one thing that they kind of missed it on. And that was when it came to how they saw culture or society, it was very much wasn't us against them. Right? And so they're like, oh, the world is bad. We have to do our own thing. And what ends up happening is they were like, well, we got to create our own little Christian subculture. So we've got, we've got you know, our kind of code of conduct, if you will. Right? And maybe you know some, someone who has this kind of uh, code of conduct or you've seen this before. And you know, there are typical examples of this. It'd be like, look, rock and roll music is bad. Unless it's Christian rock and roll, then that's okay. Um, you know, movies with magic in it, like Harry Potter, is bad. But Lord of the Rings is okay because it's Tolkien magic. You know, I mean, rated R movies, bad. Unless it's Passion of the Christ, and that's okay. So it's like this kind of like nebulous, but not nebulous, like code of conduct where certain things are good and certain things are bad. And usually when someone's trying to separate themselves from the world, I, I, honestly, I think it usually starts off with good intentions of, hey, we're just trying to be pure. We're trying to be holy, right? And, 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 and so there's good intentions, but then they go too far. They go too far. They go to the point to where they try to create their own rules that they lay on top of Scripture and say, we have our code of conduct. And, you know, we, we're, you know, even though maybe God doesn't say those things, we think this is what's best. And that's why I would say sometimes Jesus probably wouldn't fit in those churches because he wouldn't be allowed to be in those churches because he's following the word of God and they're following these other rules they've placed on top of the word of God. And a lot of times what will happen is people will say, well, we have to separate ourselves completely because that's what obedience requires. Does it? Does it? Uh, look at verse 15. What does Jesus pray? I do not ask that you take them out of the world. So if you remove yourself completely from the world in an attempt to somehow please God and it goes against the desires and prayers that Jesus has for you, what does that mean? Jesus is praying, Father, don't take them out of the world. Yes, protect them from the evil one, but please don't take them out of the world. He does not want you to completely separate yourself from the world. All right, but that's one way in which we're tempted to compromise being in the world but not of the world. Because that's the, that's the invitation, that's the calling, to be in the world but not of the world and if we remove ourselves completely from the world, well, then we're not in the world, but not of the world. We're just separate. And so there's that tension of being in the world, but not of the world. Sometimes people separate completely, 
that doesn't work. There's another way in which we sometimes are tempted and the other way the enemy tries to tempt us and that is to embrace the world completely. To embrace the world completely is when you get to the place to where there's no distinction between if you're a believer yourself and those who are non-believers. It's, it's when those who claim to be Christians, they, uh, they look just like everyone else in the world because they think and they talk and they act just like everyone else in the world. And there's no distinction between, between them and the world because they find themselves embracing the world to the degree in which they assimilate fully into the world. Uh, years ago, I was a part of a, a, a church, and this was when I was back in like my 20s, and there was this group of young, urban, hipster Christians, you know, and they, and they were like cooler than cool Christians. This is up in Seattle. And, and they were like, they would, they, they, they would smoke closed cigarettes and drink uh, kombucha and listen to Leonard Cohen, and they would like, you know, um, make their own clothes and um, have really great hairstyles and, uh, and beards and things like that. And, uh, and they were also, a lot of them played in like different indie bands in the Seattle scene and they all rode mopeds. <laughs> and they had jackets with a patch that said the moped army. And there was like a swarm of them. There were like 30 or 40 of them. And they were just all around Seattle. And you'd be like, oh, the Mopad Army is showing up. Man, they're cool. And I was friends with a lot of them, but I wasn't cool enough to be in the inner circle because I didn't have a Mopad. I know. But here's what happened. A lot of them grew up in those kind of fundamentalist homes or those fundamentalist churches, and they grew up and said, you know what, we don't, we don't like that. We, we, we reject that. We want a different expression of Christianity, which is understandable, right? Like, I would want the same. And, um, and so they're like, we, we are going to have a different expression of Christianity. Uh, the only problem was in order, well, not in order, but in an attempt to create their own expression of Christianity, they basically took on the ideology of the city. That was the problem. And so, um, and I'm not talking about like the, the way they looked or what they, like that kind of stuff, like in their style and their mopeds. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about deeper things than that. Um, you know, they, they believed whatever they wanted. They said whatever they wanted. They watched whatever they wanted. They did whatever they wanted. And they just stamped a little Jesus on it and said, it must be okay. I'm a Christian. It's like, your life doesn't look any different than the rest of the city. How are you a Christian? Inevitably, what happens is sometimes when people embrace the world completely and there is this kind of giving into and assimilating to the world, they take on the ideology and the value system and the worldview of the world. And in order for that to happen, there's other things that have to happen. You have to stop listening to the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And not only do you have to stop listening to the conviction of the Holy Spirit, but you have to give up the sufficiency and the authority of scripture itself in order to get to that place. And, and the way it usually plays out is people are like, well, you know, uh, I, I, like, I like what the Bible says for the most part, you know, and there are like some verses that are great, you know, like God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. Uh, sure, I love it, awesome. 
And then there are other verses where it's like, you know, like there's some things said in there and like, you know, I'm not sure about that. It kind of goes against like, you know, some of my belief system and how I view sexuality or identity or gender or what all these things. I'm not sure about that stuff. And so, uh, you know, I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to just say that stuff is like, not really relevant anymore. That's like ancient stuff. And they were kind of in a different culture and we're evolved now and we've got a lot more wisdom and a heck of a lot more technology. We know, we know it's up. And so I'm going to take the scripture that I like and I'm going to keep it in the scripture I don't like. Eh, going to lay it to the side. And there's a compromise that happens in the embracing the world fully in which one has to give up the authority of scripture because if you're going to hold to the authority of Scripture, you're going to be forced to not embrace the world fully. Because the Bible says in Romans 12, 2, do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So you can't fully embrace the world completely and, and be faithful to Christ. And a lot of times people will say, oh, oh, freedom in Christ, freedom in Christ. They'll use freedom in Christ to justify thinking, saying, doing whatever they want. Are we free in Christ? Absolutely. But we are free from sin, not free to sin. We're free from the ways of this world so that we can live according to the ways of God. And so, yes, we are free, but we are free to worship and obey and love God. And so what we see are these two different ways in which the enemy will try to tempt you, either separate completely or embrace. And quite honestly, the enemy doesn't care which you choose because either one, if you pick either one, what happens? You compromise your faith and integrity and you are neutralized as a, you know, like witness for Christ. So either one is fine. And yet Jesus is saying something else. He's saying, be in the world, but not of the world, which is neither of these things. And so you ask, Bubba, how do we do that? How can we be in the world, but not of the world? Glad you asked. I want to share with you a, a, a framework that um, I learned a long time ago. Honestly, I don't know who came up with it. I've heard it a few different times from different people, but it stuck with me because it's so helpful that um, I, 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 I've just kind of used it over the years, and I think it will help you as well. So here's the cultural framework. Um, it is uh, reject, receive, redeem, right? Reject, receive, redeem. Reject. There are certain things in this world that are just evil, God hates them, they're evil, they're against God, they're against the ways of God. Those types of things, uh, we can't, you know, we can't receive them and we can't redeem them because they can't be redeemed and we can't receive them because they're evil, so we have to reject them. Right? This would be things like, you know, like um, uh, slavery or racism or, you know, maybe like um, adultery, even though the world embraces it, or pornography, even though the world embraces it, God would say, no, 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 those things, those things are evil, or things like, you know, uh, the TV show, The Bachelor, <laughs> or The Bachelorette. Um, I, pro I, I probably shouldn't mention this, but um, my wife sometimes watches The Bachelorette, <laughs> and uh, one day I said to her, how can you watch this? This is just terrible. I wasn't even like making the argument of it's evil. I was just saying it's bad TV, you know? Like, how can you watch this? And she said, it's like a cultural phenomenon in the sense that you just get to see all of the issues in our culture on display in this show. 
She's like, I can't not watch it. It's like going past a car wreck and you got to look. And I'm like judging her. And then like 30 seconds later, I'm like, so what's this person's name? And what are they doing? <laughs> but seriously, my point though is there are certain things in this world that are evil that we just need to say, I can't, I can't have anything to do with this, right? Now, there are other things though that we can receive. These are good things. These are things that are just good and they are, you know, good gifts from above, right? The Bible says there's all kinds of good gifts that come from above that, you know, the father of light give us, he gives us. And so uh, these are things that we can not just receive, we can, we can receive them and we can enjoy them. Um, have you ever had like a really amazing dinner, right? Maybe, maybe uh, you say, oh, so they, I got a filet mignon and they cooked it perfectly. And there was like, you know, nice, like the, just the right wine to, to pair with it. And then some, you know, like some mashed potatoes that were, that had way too much butter, but it was good. And, uh, and then like a dessert, you know, like whatever your favorite is, right? Like some bread pudding or something like that. You're like, oh, that was so good. Right, receive it, right? Receive it, enjoy it delight in it. Or if you have a conversation with some friends, have you ever had a conversation where you're talking with some friends and you get laughing and then you get that belly laugh or you get the cramp in your side and you're like, ah, ha, ha, that's good, right? God made humor. Humor is good. You, and, and that's a good, you just receive it, enjoy it. Um, you know, or have you ever had one of those moments where you're listening to music and maybe you have like the headphones in or, you know, you're listening to music and you, you have that like kind of physical sensation where you're like physically feeling how amazing and awesome the music is. And you're like, this is so good. It's good. Receive it. Lots of good things that we can enjoy and receive and delight in, right? And delight in. Um, there's also, though, some things that um, they're, it, it, it's, they're, they're not evil, so we don't reject them, but they're, but they're also not good, although they were, they were supposed to be good, but they're not good because something has happened to them. They've become lost or broken, and those are the types of things that we can redeem, right? So, so there are things that we would say, look, this is an opportunity for redemption. It was something good that was lost. What would it look like for it to be found? It was something good that was broken. What would it look like for it to be made whole? And then we say, this is something that is, even though I can't receive it in its current state because the goodness is tainted, I can redeem it so that it can be good and received. Uh, an example would be, say, maybe family, right? Family is good. But yet, maybe you were born into a family that was broken, or maybe you received a brokenness in your family, or brokenness happened in your family, and so you can't just necessarily embrace your family as it is because it's broken, but family is good, so there's an opportunity to redeem that which is good, and to say, okay, well, maybe I received a broken family, but I want to create a, a, a redeemed family, and in that creating a redeemed family, then you're building a new legacy, or helping redeem legacy. Right? And so there are certain things that we would say, we're not going to give up on it, we're not going to reject it, but we can't accept it in its current state. Let's redeem it. Let's redeem it. So I find this cultural framework to be super helpful, reject, receive, redeem, to help us understand how to be in the world but not uh, of the world. In, in order, though, to, to actually take this and apply it, uh, it it's, it's simple but not simple to apply because it requires discernment. 
It requires uh, wisdom, but not just any kind of wisdom. Like it actually requires like spiritual wisdom. Because, it, because how do you know what to reject? How do you know what to receive? How do you know what to redeem? Well, the only way you really know that is you have to know the word of God. So, so, so you can say, okay, God says this is evil. That's evil. God says this is good. That's good. God says this is good, but now I see this and it's good, but it's been broken or lost. I need to redeem it. And God says, oh, the redemption is possible. And so they're, 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 you, what we need is we need a biblical framework or a biblical worldview, and then we can take this cultural framework and we can lay it not on top of it, but alongside it to use it as a tool, but we're really just using our biblical worldview through a cultural framework to know how to navigate things. Make sense? And, and, and what's interesting is, as we keep going in the prayer, that's kind of what, exactly what Jesus prays for. If you look at verse 17... Um, and we look at his prayer as he keeps going. He says, he's, he says this, right? He's praying. He's saying, Father, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified. Father, keep them in your name. Protect them from the enemy. Father, uh, don't take them out of the world. Father, sanctify them in truth. Uh, what is truth? Your word, Father, that's what truth is. The word sanctify means to make holy, to make holy. And when we think of holiness, a lot of times I think we think that holiness equals being a good person or a righteous person. And uh, there is an aspect of holiness that includes righteousness, but when you look at the biblical narrative, what we see is that we don't make ourselves righteous, but rather Jesus makes us righteous, right? Jesus takes our sin and gives us his righteousness, so you are made righteous in Christ, and then the Father looks upon you and sees you righteous. He sees you as righteous in Christ, and so when, when the Father looks at you, he doesn't go like, oh, you did some stuff that I thought was pretty good and now I accept you. But rather he looks at you and he says, you know, I, I see your sin and brokenness, but I don't hold that against you because you're in Christ. I only see the righteousness of Christ, which is covering you. You're, you're under the righteousness of Christ. You're in the righteousness of Christ. You've been made righteous in Christ. You've got righteousness of Christ all over you. And so that idea of holiness in terms of righteousness, we receive it. But, but we can also live it out. There's another part of holiness. And the other part of holiness is holiness really means to be set apart. To be set apart. So he's saying, uh, Father, would you sanctify them? Would you make them holy? Would you set them apart from the world into your truth? So how do we be in the world but not of the world? Well, we are sanctified in truth, right? We live a set-apart life according to the truth of God's word. That's how. 
This, this is saying, you know what, I'm gonna, uh, I'm gonna take the Bible and I'm gonna love the Bible. I'm gonna embrace God's word. I'm gonna see it as it is, God's word. I'm gonna say, you know what, I'm gonna live under the authority of God's word. If I read God's word and there's something that I don't like, I'm gonna say I'm wrong, not, not that God is wrong. I'm gonna, I'm gonna re- realign myself to the word of God so that my thoughts are God's thoughts according to his word. My desires are God's desires according to his word. That my life looks like God wants my life to look according to his word. And, here, and here's what happens. The Spirit of God ministers the Word of God to help us be people of God. When we open up the Word and we're, in, we're, like, we're not just like studying like, like some kind of language or some, you know, like, you have to understand this. When we're looking at this, we're literally encountering God and the Spirit of God is ministering the Word of God to us and there's something supernatural that's happening because the Word of God is ch- changing us. It's because the Spirit of God is changing us. That idea of sanctify them isn't, isn't just make them holy, help them live a set-apart life. Sanctification is... A kind of a theological term for growing and maturing to become more like Jesus. So it's even more than just holiness and set apart. It's also maturing and growing to be like Jesus. And so what happens is the Holy Spirit ministers the word. Our minds are transformed by the word. Our hearts are transformed by the word. We are transformed by the spirit of God and our identity. We receive a new mind, new heart, new desires, new identity, new self, new creation in Christ. And then the spirit of God, what the spirit of God does is ministers the word of God to us to help us live in that newness, to help us. We we are new, but we have to learn how to live a new life. And that's that sanctify them in the truth, sanctify them in the truth. As we're growing and maturing from day to day to become more and more like Jesus and less and less like the world. But, but notice here some of the things that he says. I want, you to, I want you to see a connection here. Let's look at verse 19. He says here, um, And for their sake I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in truth. And the word consecrate, it, uh, it's, it's about dedication. Jesus is saying, I'm dedicating myself. I'm dedicating myself to you, Father. I'm dedicating myself to our plan of redemption, Father. I'm dedicated to what must be done. What's about to happen, right? You got to remember the moment he's praying this. What's about to take place? He's going to suffer and he's going to go to the cross. So when he says, I consecrate myself, he's speaking about the fact that he is about to give up his life and suffer and die in our place for our sin. That's what he's talking about here. And when we think about Jesus dying on the cross, a lot of times we think about it as it pertains to salvation in the sense that Jesus died for my sin so that I can be forgiven, so that I can be reconciled to God, so that I can receive adoption into God's family, so that I can uh, have citizenship in God's kingdom, right? We would call that all salvation or redemption. It's all kind of under that concept, that idea of we receive new life in Christ. Yes, the cross accomplishes those things, but there's more than those things also that's happening at the cross because what does he do here? He says, I consecrate myself. Why? That they may be sanctified in truth. So now this consecration of the cross is connected to sanctification in the truth. So Jesus is saying, I'm going to give it everything I got. I'm going to dedicate myself fully to God. I'm not going to hold anything back. I'm going to give up my life so that you can have life. 
according to what God wants, per his, his truth. And then look what he says in verse 18. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. God the Father sends God the Son into the world on this rescue mission to bring about redemption. Jesus is the sent one, but he's also the sending one. Because as he was sent, he sins. And he's saying here, Father, um, I, I, know, I know life on earth is, I know it's hard, I know it's difficult, and I know there's going to be all kinds of like hardships and challenges and all that kind of stuff. And, uh, you know, I'm just praying, I'm praying, would you keep them, keep them in your name so that the greatest and highest authority is their protection and protect them from the evil one, protect them from the evil one. Um, and, and sure enough, you know, the world hates them and it's going to be really hard, but don't take them out of the world. Don't take them out of the world. They need to be in the world, but not of the world. And, and I know that that's going to be really difficult, but, but Father, sanctify them in the truth so that they can be growing in the truth as they're living in the world, but not of the world. Because Father, I have sent them. As you sent me, I send them. This means that you have a divine mission, a divine calling that is a God-sized, God-ordained mission and calling. You are sent. You are sent to minister to your family. You are sent to minister to your friends. You are sent to minister in the places where you Live, work, learn, and play, your work environment, your peers, your school environment, your peers, the person at Starbucks or the grocery store, your neighbor, whomever you encounter, you are sent. You are sent. A lot of times when it gets difficult, we want to peace out. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. I sent you there. I sent you there. Consider this. You're right where God wants you. What happens when we, when we experience this prayer, when we embrace this prayer, when we live sent? Um, last verse we'll look at. Look at verse 13. He prays, but now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. When we experience spiritual opposition and the Father is keeping us, we can experience the joy of Jesus. When, when we are in the world but not of the world and the world is hating us, we can experience the joy of Jesus. When there are all, all kinds of lies and deception about and yet we are str striving to, to, to experience this sanctified in the truth, we can experience the joy of Jesus. 
This isn't manufactured joy. This isn't, this is, this is like the joy that Christ has. And the Bible says that Jesus counted it all joy to go to the cross and suffer for us. He wasn't happy about it. That's not joy. But he was willing to do it because of the joy of bringing about salvation, sanctification. Not in, 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 in theory, but personally to you. Think about this. Jesus before he went to the cross, he's praying, I'm going to suffer. Help me be faithful. I'm going to consecrate myself. Let's sanctify them in the truth. I want them to experience my joy. And then he goes to the cross. And it gives him joy because he knows what it's going to do for you. It's a powerful prayer. When, when we're weary, we can remember the joy of Jesus and share in his joy. When we're tired, when we feel like quitting and giving up and all that, we can remember his joy. We can identify with him in hardship so that he can identify with us in struggles and we can experience joy. That's what his prayer is about. Here's the heart of the matter. Uh, living sent isn't easy, but it's joyful. Right? It's not the easiest life. And a lot of times what happens is, is when life gets hard, we want easy. Right? That's why we want to escape. That's why we want something to be different. We're like, ah, give me, give me, give me comfort. Give me something easy. And in 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 Though God is the God of comfort, and he is the God who comforts us in all things, including our suffering, understand, he's not praying for our comfort. He's praying that we would endure. This is a, a really an endurance prayer. Keep them, Father. Don't let them out of the world. Sanctify them. That's, an, that's a prayer about empowerment and endurance. Living sent is not the easy life, but it's the joyful life because we get to share in the mission of God. Think about this, okay? God, his mission is to bring about complete and full redemption for all creation, which means the universe experiencing creation, the earth experience um, redemption, um, I said the universe experiencing redemption, the earth experiencing redemption, all creation experiencing redemption, but also humanity experiencing redemption. I mean, think about this. Like the mission of God won't stop or be satisfied until there is full and complete redemption that happens. And that's what we're called to. Right? Taking that which is good but has been lost or broken and redeeming it it's hard work. That's the work of the Christian life. Let's pray together. Uh, God, we, we thank you for this prayer. We thank you, Jesus, that you would pray this for us and over us. And uh, we just come to you now and we say uh, yes and amen to this prayer. Father, keep us in your name.
Father, uh, don't take us out of this world. Holy Spirit, help us to live in the world, but not of the world. Father, sanctify us in truth, in your word, that we may live sent lives. And we just confess that there are times when, um, you know, we want to compromise. There are times when it just, it's, it's, it's just so hard that we, we, we just, we, we feel like giving up, right? Whether that's escaping fully and completely from the world or just embracing the world. In those moments, in those times, I just ask and pray, um, may we be reminded of this prayer and may we experience um, some joy in Jesus because of this prayer. Father, I pray for my friends. I pray that you would strengthen them that as, as they go into this next week that you would um, help them to be ever mindful and aware of your presence and your goodness and your provisions. And we do pray, uh, help us to live with the intentionality of being sent. We ask this in Christ's good name. Amen. Well, congrats. You made it through the whole sermon. We just want to say thank you for listening to Sunday Sermons with Resurrection Church. Again, this is the weekly preaching and teaching ministry of Resurrection Church in Gig Harbor, Washington. If you want to connect with us, you can do that by going to our website at resurrectionchurch.com. There you will find all the ways to worship with us, and you can sign up for our weekly newsletter, connect with us through a group or event, find a place to serve, and give financially. We're so thankful for each and every one of you, and our hope is that you will continue to live life with Jesus this week.